Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, everybody? Sam Franco, Chris Brain, back with another exciting edition of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. Plenty to get to today. We'll talk Final Four. We'll talk about the opening day of Major League Baseball, what to expect from the season, what to expect from the Braves. And we'll also talk some NFL rule changes, including one that might have just been made official, but also might have been employed during the Super Bowl, so the way that a play was called all season long might have been called differently in the Super Bowl, which has some people irked. Yeah, but like I already assumed that anyway. The uh, the um, this is Corey the whether Clement or not catch. it's a catch or not. Yeah, it was the Corey Clement right. catch in the back of the end zone where the ball was uh, shifting from one of his arms to the other. Those hundred percent. If that had been the regular season, that would have been called an incomplete pass. But there's no way that the NFL was going to let that go in the Super Bowl with those millions more people that are watching that are sitting there going, what do they mean that's not a catch? It, was, it, was, it would have been stupid. Right, so we'll dive more into that a uh, little bit later on in the podcast. But first and foremost, the Sister Jean Four is heading to San Antonio. That's also more commonly known as the Final Four. But this year, Sister Jean, obviously a huge story involved. You'll have Loyola, Chicago, Taking on Michigan, the winner of that game will face the winner of the Kansas and Villanova game. So two real blue bloods on one side and two teams. And Michigan has a decent basketball history. You know, the Fab Five, all that stuff. Chris Weber calling the timeout he didn't have. Uh, so they had those teams. And then also John Beeline's done a really good job at Michigan. They were in the Final Four, uh, I believe, uh, in 2013, obviously, uh, when the uh, championship was won by Louisville. Although technically now, I guess, there's no champion uh, for that season. But this Michigan team has done a very good job of, uh, of upping their profile basketball-wise. So I think this is a very entertaining Final Four. Yes, yeah, somebody asked me uh, earlier in the week, like, you know, who I thought the best coach was remaining in the final four. And my answer was Jay Wright. But I, you know, I think Beeline could be the answer to that. The guy's done, he he won at West Virginia. He's done a great job at Michigan. Like you said, he's had him in the, uh, had him in the national championship game just uh, five years ago now. And now they're back again in the final four after sweeping the, uh, through the, the big 10 tournament too. So you know, Beeline definitely is a, is a contender there. What I love so far is that we've had Twitter beef between 98-year-old Sister Jean <laughs> and the 100-year-old grandmother of Jalen Rose, who are uh, going at it back in uh, back and forth. But, you know, Jalen Rose's grandma, she's kind of jumping in here late. I mean, I of think course. America's hearts have already been grabbed by uh, Sister Jean. So, Well, here's the thing about anybody that's hating on Sister Jean right now. It just feels like you're coming out of the, you're crawling out of your hole 
and you're jumping on her coattails. It's like, oh man, this 98 year old grandma has, uh, or not grandma because she can't have kids. Right. She's a 98, nun. <laughs> 98 year old nun has swept the nation. So I'm going to go out on social media and talk trash about her and see if I can ride her coattails. It's like, man, get off of Sister Jean. Well, yeah, I guess now, like, to attack Sister Jean, you, I guess you feel like you're being the contrarian because everybody course. is. Uh, complete- you're just trying to get, get famous or, or make a name for yourself off the name that she's already established. Yeah. Well, it's like great because. You know, I mean, traditionally, like Loyola would be the underdog that we'd all be falling in love with. But, um, and I, you know, I guess at this point, yeah, I mean, I would love to see Loyola win the national championship. But, hey, they already um, got one. Every team in this field has won a national championship. I know. It was Michigan in 89, I believe. Yep. And then you also have Kansas and, and Villanova. Everybody knows about them. Villanova has two. This would be their third. And uh, Kansas. For as many times as Bill Self has let them down, he actually does have a national championship there, as did uh, Larry Brown with uh, Danny Manning and the Miracles. And I'm trying to think in their past. They've they, got, they yeah, I mean, they've got two. one in like from like the 50s, right. and 60s. So all of these schools really have a tradition of basketball because they've all won national championships. Before. Yeah, I mean, Loyola won one in 1963. Sister Jean was uh, 43 she, she years was old, and uh, <laughs> so she remembers it for sure. But. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, but they're the Cinderella. They're the 11 seed. But it is interesting that, okay, you even with this team that right now is uh, viewed as the Cinderella, I mean, yeah, they do have a Final Four and a national championship yeah. in their history. So with all the the wildness of the tournament that, I mean, nothing is bigger than the fact that we saw for the first time ever a 16 defeat a one seed. You still do end up with a Final Four. Two of the number ones are in it. You got a three down there in the bottom, and then – all right, Loyola's an 11 seed. I mean, I won't yeah. call them, say that they're not a uh, um, a Cinderella story. Well, that's why when you're filling out a bracket, you can't make your, your name off of picking upsets constantly. Because look at the Final Four, 1-1-3-11. One, one, I mean, uh, you know, the 11 is, is an anomaly there. But still, I mean, Chalk normally wins. I'll just look at the women's Final Four, all four number one seeds. Made it to the final. Yeah, and well, in Connecticut, this is what their eleventh straight year. So if you fill out a women's bracket, I'd go ahead and just put them in the final four. By the way, what Connecticut did to South Carolina the other day, a lot of people, you know, South Carolina was kind of last year they were the national champion, but a lot of people were like, Yeah, but they avoided UConn. And the only reason that UConn lost to Mississippi State last year is because of Tierra McCowan. I mean, that girl is unbelievable. She's like six foot seven and just that force. And they'll have to play, I would assume, in the final four at some point. Uh, so we'll get that matchup again. But it's just interesting to look at, at what UConn did because they're, like, trying to prove themselves, I guess, against South Carolina. <laughs> South well, Carolina. No, no doubt. I mean, UConn Th- There is, was a little bit of a chip on their shoulder going into that game, and they blew out South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, their their position in that game was, okay, you're the reigning national champs, but we were really the best team in the country last year. Well, they'd already gone into Columbia this year and beaten them. Yeah, by like well, I think they beat them something. last year, too. They've okay, been playing yeah. each other the last couple of years. But, yeah, South Carolina dodged a bullet thanks to Mississippi State. And yeah. They could up, not dodge that bullet this time. No, they did not, <laughs> and they got, uh, they got hammered. Not quite as bad is whoever it was they played in the Connecticut played in the first round. Oh, well, where they the scored, 16th seed St. Francis where yeah. they scored 140 points. And had 55 in the first quarter. At 101 points with, I think, 17 minutes left in the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's just unbelievable. They, and they even outscored them in the fourth quarter, like 24-2 to two or something yeah, like that. Just so. absurd. But, yeah, getting back to the men's side of things, uh, looking at that Loyola-Michigan matchup, Here's what I have to say about Loyola. I think that because Sister Jean has really swept the nation and she's the big story with Loyola, this team has been sort of, you know, sheltered from criticism or sheltered from pressure because it seems like more and more the interviews 
want to go to Sister Jean and not really the coach, not really the people on the team. So they're allowed to operate under the radar even a little bit more and not maybe have that spotlight and that pressure on them because they have this nun who has really become the story. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, they could show up this weekend and not sort of like really get caught up in the magnitude of, oh my gosh, we're in the Final Four and they've got you know, these just reams of reporters that are surrounding them because, yeah, the attention is going to go to Sister Jean probably instead of them, and that could, you know, maybe help them not get stage fright there or uh, blinded by the big lights. But, yeah, this is a team that beat Florida in Gainesville during the regular season. Um, You know, so, you know, I'm not going to say that they're not a fluke. They were an 11 seed, and they're from the Missouri Valley Conference, and they're in the Final Four now. But, um, you know, they probably are – better than you probably would give them credit yeah for. would give them credit for i mean that being said yeah i my my leans are still i'd take michigan and villanova to play monday night for the title which would be a heck of a game i'll say this i'm gonna give loyola a chance to beat michigan i don't know if they will i don't really give them a chance to beat either villanova or kansas just because it feels like that They've got they've they've taken advantage of, of somewhat of an easier route to the Final Four that, that maybe they would have been used to or maybe they thought they would have had to do. So I think they could beat Michigan because here's the thing about Michigan: throughout the course of the season, they were a defense-led team that all of a sudden in the Big Ten and now NCAA tournament has exploded offensively. I yeah. mean, they they are hitting shots from the outside. They are you know they they blitzed a few teams here. That uh, Sweet Sixteen game. Where the, A&M. Uh, against A&M, yeah, yeah, where they scored the 99 points and hit like 14 or 15 threes. Was right. Not, I mean, not even remotely sustainable. No, but that's the thing. They got hot. They're in the tournament right now. Teams do that sometimes. You know, you get on that roll and you become a hot shooting team. So, And they have a guy named Wagner on their team, so yeah. that makes it even well, better. UConn did it that one year. I mean, I mean, there are other examples, too. They won too. six straight games in the uh, in the Big East tournament because they had to play, like, the opening round yeah. game there. They played, so they won like six on a games Tuesday there, back then. and I think they won six games in a row, or they did win six games in a row, so they were on a massive hot streak, and that's what's happened to Michigan here. They've gone on a big-time hot streak, and uh, that's helped them out. So that's going to be – I think that's going to be a very interesting game. The other side of things, Kansas and Villanova – I think one thing that this tournament has proven to us is that Villanova is the best team in the country just based on what they've done and, and quite frankly, the eyeball test. And I don't really think it's that close. I think Kansas got very lucky uh, to win that game against Duke because, you know, if, if Duke had probably had a little bit of a better game plan down the stretch and not decided to go ISO Grayson Allen, and look, Grayson Allen made four clutch free throws at the end of that game and he made like a shot – kind of uh, towards the end of tie it. And then he goes, I still, it still blows my mind that the play for Duke's season with very little time left on the clock was Grayson Allen with the ball at the top of the key and him trying to drive to the hole and make something happen. I'm like, look, he's been important to them and I get it, but I saw Grayson Allen, not the move I would have made there against Kansas. No, I got to tell you, I thought Coach K got out, uh, he got out coached in that game by Bill Self. I, I, yeah, I feel like Kansas scored coming out of every single timeout too. They had some play drawn up. They needed a, they needed points at that time. They had that Newman guy just go off, which was crazy, yeah. and it set off a chain reaction on Twitter of everybody tweeting Seinfeld Newman jizz. Yeah, I noticed that, <laughs> um, which was good for Newman and it Wayne Knight. Um, Although a lot of people were tweeting Wayne Knight. See, I tweeted because I had to go for Duke to uh, to win the pool here. By the way, uh, your normal co-host, Jeff Dantzler, 
in a very good position. If Villanova beats Kansas, he wins the bracket pool. Yeah, I love that our pool is so bad that the ch- the national championship <laughs> game will be irrelevant. It's irrelevant. No, yeah. we only have one game left <laughs> that will determine uh, the winner of our bracket pool. That's how bad. Well, that's how bad everybody's has been. I mean, nobody got the Loyola or Michigan in the Final Four, so uh, it's, it's certainly been interesting. But I just think that the way that uh that, that whole Newman thing went down, everybody was tweeting Newman gifs. I tweeted a gif of Seinfeld going, Newman, because I needed Duke to win, and they obviously didn't win. And again, going ISO Grayson Allen was a weird choice of play by uh, by Coach K. No, I, to me it's like Gary Trent should be their, their go-to guy when they need a shot. And then I, he, he hit that one, it was I mean, he kind of miracled out. I mean, no one for Duke was shooting well, but remember it was right at the end of his shot clock. He threw one up from pretty deep, and it went down. Yeah, right. And uh, I, I I, don't know that he had another shot after that. No, it, and then you had the whole – going to him. Well, and then you had the whole thing with um, uh, with Wendell Carter fouling out on what was clearly a charge. Like, I don't know how yeah. much more that could have been. But, you know, I mean, if there's – I mean, for the first time ever – When it gets Duke. Duke didn't get a call, so it's hard to uh, – Unless you were like you and you needed Duke to win, you're like <laughs> griping about that. But I'm exactly. like, that was a bad call. But I mean, I can't feel bad for Duke no. getting a bad call. No, of course not. So, you know, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and take Loyola against Michigan for no other reason than the fact that they might be flying a little under the radar. What's even who you're still. rooting for. And it's plus, it is who I'm rooting for. I think Villanova wins on the other side. I think Villanova wins a national championship. An all-Catholic final. Yeah, I mean, Villanova, and I get, you know, Kansas kind of has that reputation, too. That's why it's kind of an interesting uh, Final Four matchup. reputation. Well, where where it's either like they're, you know, like, because Villanova, they won the title, then came back last year and lost in the second round. Didn't NC State beat them in round two last year? And then here they are in the Final Four. So it's it's kind of either like they're going to get upset early or they make it all the way to the end. And now here both of them are. They've made it all the way to the uh, end. But I mean, Bill Self has a lot of pressure on him. I mean, you know, these Kansas fans are starting to get antsy. Uh, They haven't won the national title since uh, the Derrick Rose game uh, back when they beat Memphis. So I I think the Kansas fan base is starting to get a little antsy. Yeah, and Nova did just win it a couple of years ago. I I I think Jay Wright's a better coach if you're looking at a coaching matchup. The only thing that does, I mean, make me nervous about Nova, but listen, they've been the best team in the country for most of the year, and here they are as a one seed that's made it to the Final Four. They are so reliant on the three-pointer that if they just have one of those games that's not dropping – then they could get beaten. But you know, I think back to the Final Four game against Oklahoma two years ago where they just, they won by, what, 45? They were yeah. just uh, – I mean, the, the shooting that they had in that Final Four, which was, by the way, in Houston. Mm-hmm. So now they're just uh, – I was going to say just down the road in San Antonio, yeah, right but in there. Texas it's like four states away. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so they're back in Texas for another Final Four. But, I mean, they were just um, insanely hot in the final four a couple years ago and that's just it and then that's why when they beat alabama what they they took 41 three-pointers in that game yeah and crushed the tide in the second round but um you know if they if there just turns out to be a game they're not going then they could definitely get beaten but you know they've made it this far it hadn't been a problem yeah so uh we'll see what ends up happening with the final four it's certainly an intriguing one there's no question about that with the uh the two number one seeds the the kansas can they you know finally do it again uh, Villanova with what Jay Wright's built there and really become one of the most dominant programs in college basketball over the last, you know, five, six years. And then you look at the other side, just a, just a matchup that nobody expected. So Final Four coming your way. I think Villanova wins the whole thing. And since we won't be doing a show before Monday uh, with the uh, the national championship, 
That'll put a wrap, a nice little bow in the college basketball season. And then we all get to sit around and wait for the FBI to drop this bomb whenever they decide to. Now, I'm waiting for the Maui Classic next year. Uh, 2019 is when Georgia will be in that. Oh, it's not the next season? It is not next season. Auburn will be the SEC's representative in the Maui Invitational in 2018. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. But still a big, huge deal for Georgia to be in the marquee early in the season basketball tournament. There's no doubt the Maui Invitational is the most hyped, the most promoted and the, the best field every year for these kind of early-in-the-season tournaments that they do. Okay. So I'm very excited for that. And uh, shout-out to Coach Crean for getting the dogs in there. All right, we'll switch gears now. Major League Baseball opening day as we record this. I believe that uh, a game will start here very shortly as we record on Thursday. And it's just interesting to me. You look at what the Braves have for this season and they catch an unfortunate bounce with the Phillies opening things up because that means they're going to see Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta. You know, I mean, they get they get the, the two best guys for the for the Phillies right out of the gate and a team that, other than those two guys, you don't really know what they're going to bring to the table. But you've got to hope with the Braves that, you know, they can, they can keep tread water here without Ronald Acuna for the first 14 days. Then they get Acuna. Hopefully the power numbers go up. And with the pitching, I, I just think it's some of these guys are, are just holdover guys until some of the younger arms in the farm system are ready to go. Yeah, the pitching is the biggest issue with the team this year. I think offensively, Atlanta's got some spots in that lineup that could be really good. They NCR could Freeman, absolutely. When Acuna eventually comes up, Albies. The, the catching platoon last year was very good with Suzuki and uh, and Flowers. And when also. Johan Camargo, who will start the season on the DL when he comes back, I mean that's another guy who yeah. I think has shown flashes of being a pretty good player. I mean the Braves are going to be below average in right field with Mark. Cacus, they're let's be on. They're going to probably be below average at shortstop with uh, Swanson. Mm-hmm. The question is going to be how long are they going to let that continue on? And then I don't really have um, huge expectations for for third base, but the starting pitching. It's when the rotation is Tehran, Fultonevich. Uh, you're going to have McCarthy there at three, and then I guess Newcomb's going to be the four with. To start the year, Sanchez will be the mm-hmm. fifth starter. I would imagine that uh, Gahara, once he comes back off the DL, will be uh, will slide into that rotation somehow. But like the for a 162 game marathon in a season, that Braves starting rotation is leaves a lot to be desired right now. I mean, do we see a Kyle Wright at some point this season? I know you don't want to rush pitchers, but I mean that's a guy that the Braves fans are, are wondering about. Very highly drafted player, a pitcher out of Vanderbilt, so. No, we'll see what ends up happening with him as well. Yeah, I mean, but when you start talking about are we going to see these young arms, it's just basically because you realize, well, the season's lost somewhere in the <laughs> middle of it, and you're just ready to see some of these new faces and get their feet wet in the big leagues. But, look, the Nationals have you, you have Strasburg, uh, Scherzer, you got Gio Gonzalez Gio. still. Uh, you know, Cindergard's returning for the Mets. He only threw like 30 innings last year. So they've got, he was still got Harvey, Cindergard, and DeGrom. And DeGrom. The Phillies, like you said, have Nola as an ace, and they're going to have Arietta too now that they've added in free agency. So the Braves pitching rotation is the – I mean, it's four out of five teams. The Marlins are definitely dead last in oh, the division. But, and dead last in baseball. Yeah, I mean, to me, the Braves are probably going to be just battling the Phillies for a chance to finish in third place in the East. Yeah, we kind of forecasted the season uh, on the morning show – earlier and I said that I think the World Series is going to come down to I, I it's always hard to repeat so I think Houston will have a very good ball club but I'm not going to pick them I hate to do this because I don't like the way that Stanton went to New York it's still fishy in terms of Jeter giving him the New York for uh, a haul that a lot of people thought was very suspect but I really like 
Stanton going to New York and providing protection for Aaron Judge because Aaron Judge is going to – a lot of people are like, man, he had such a great rookie season, but it's going to be harder for him in a sophomore season. Pitchers are going to probably have figured him out, blah, blah, blah. But with Stanton batting behind him, that's going to be a lot better for him in terms of the quality of pitches that he sees. So I think that that Stanton Judge one-two punch, throwing, excuse me, throwing Gary Sanchez as well, I think the Yankees – are going to win the American League, face the Dodgers in the World Series. And I think this is finally the year that the Dodgers get over that hump because their starting pitching, it feels like, is better than anyone else. Well, I mean, the Yankees' starting pitching is good, but I, I was looking over the Astros the other day. They're, and they're they go, nasty. They're I mean, nasty. You go Verlander, Keuchel, they've got McCullers, they added Garrett Cole in the offseason. true. And they got Charlie Morton as a uh, fifth, so... Do you remember when Charlie Morton was on the Braves? Yeah, I do. Now he's <laughs> He's got a World Series ring now, as do Brian McCann and I guess Evan Gaddis. I mean, I mean, but... Morton was just a run-of-the-mill, like, middle-of-the-rotation kind of nothing special kind of guy and then he ends up being on the mound when they win the world series yeah well he i guess the braves traded him to pittsburgh for someone right. i don't remember who oh it was uh sean rodriguez wasn't it no nah, i think was it, it, was, not him? it was before that oh, okay but um anyway because he was like he was okay with the pirates and then yeah. he's gone to houston and he fits in well as like a four or five starter at the back end of the rotation but look i mean the, the astros have an awesome lineup too i mean they might not have these two King Kong's there in the center, like saying, like uh, you know, Judge and uh, and and Stanton. Stanton. That home run Stanton hit in but, the exhibition game at SunTrust Park last Monday was unreal. Yeah. He mashed oh it. yeah, but you know, it's it's funny with Stan. I was looking at him. You know, he hit like two hundred in the spring. Is he's one of those guys? He's like Dave Kingman. He doesn't hit for a high average, <laughs> but you know, he obviously can mash. I think those guys are projected to hit you know over ninety home runs together there. But I just I know, like you said, we haven't had a team repeat in Major League Baseball since the Yankees did in 98, 99, and 2000. But that, that Astros pitching rotation in a seven-game series, it's just they basically go, they got eight, they got three yeah. aces in their rotation. There. No, they're scary. But in the National League, it really does kind of feel like, I mean, I, I'm not going to pick the Nationals because they just choke. They, they get to the point and they, they choke. They haven't won so, a playoff series yet. Right, so I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I, I think they're starting, in terms of the National League, because like you said, that Houston rotation is scary. But in terms of the National League, I think it's pretty easy to say that the best rotation is is with the Dodgers there just because they have uh, the guy at the top with um, – God, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the number one pitcher oh, for the Kershaw? Dodgers. Thank you, yeah, Kershaw. Kershaw. Man, I'm stumbling His over ERA that. this spring was zero. Yeah, that's pretty solid, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, yeah. so I think he's going to, to anchor that, that – rotation Alex Wood obviously is a, is a very important pitcher for them too so you know I just think I think the Dodgers is finally going to be their year uh to get over that hump and win I know they were in the World Series last year but they hit a buzzsaw in the Houston Astros with that with that pitching and the hitting so I I think that the Dodgers beat the Yankees in the World Series just because like you said there if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be the Astros because of the way they're built. But it's really tough to repeat, man. Well, you know, it'd be interesting to watch the Cubs, too, a year removed from yeah. their World Series title because they they got off to a, a slow start last year. Remember at the All-Star break, the Braves and Cubs had, like, the same record. They did. And the Cubs ended up in the playoffs, and the Braves, they did not. I imagine that. But, um, you know, so they got off to a slow start, but they still made it back to the playoffs last year. So maybe, you know, Chicago, they were a little hungover from winning that World <laughs> Series. It took them a bit to wake up. So, I, you know, I mean, I think you got to throw them certainly in the uh, mix. The Nationals are going to win the East, but I'm with you. I'm not uh, taking them seriously come the postseason. 
All right, we'll uh, switch gears one more time here on the crossover. Sam Franco, Chris Bram along with you. The National Football League, and they have uh, changed some rules. First of all, the surviving the ground thing has been eliminated from the, uh, I guess, determination on whether it's a catch or not. Although now the debate's just going to go from, well, did he survive the ground, to, well, what's a football move? Because that's what they've determined it as now. The subjective part of it is the football move, which I think is uh, three steps or like a lunge. Like if you have the ball in your possession and you lunge, then that's going to be counted. So it'll be different. But the main problem with that was this thing that arose where it looked definitely like they were using this new rule already in the Super Bowl without any sort of approval from the owners or anything. And it just seems bogus. And look, the Patriots don't need any breaks. But both of those instances, the Zach Ertz touchdown where it didn't look like he survived the ground, and the uh, touchdown in the back of the end zone that was bobbled by, um, you had his name earlier. Clement, Corey yeah, Clement. Yeah, right, Corey Clement. That, it, just going on what the calls were made throughout the course of the season, neither of those should have been catches based on the rule. So how can you change a rule, not in the middle of the season, but in the most important game? Because it was the most important. It was the Super Bowl, <laughs> and the NFL would have looked, uh, it, they would have, they would have, so many more people would have been exposed to the absurdity of their catch rule, and they knew it was bad, and they knew they were going to change it, but they, even with they were going to have that happen. Even with or without a change, I still don't think Clements was a catch. Because he doesn't have control of the ball with both feet in bounds. I think that was a catch, but you're but by the by the, the the way the rule was, there's no doubt. If that had been the regular season, they would have called it incomplete. But that should be a catch. That should be no, a catch. No, that's the thing, though. I'm just going based off of like what they had called it throughout the course no, of the you're, season. And you're right, which is why Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels were sitting there watching that, and both of them thought they were going to overturn it. Uh-huh. Like it wasn't going to be a catch. And I'm sure they had you know, millions of people that hadn't watched an NFL game all year that are watching the Super Bowl listen to Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth and like, these about? two sound like morons. They're <laughs> telling that's a catch. And I thought they caught unnecessary flack for that because all they were doing was just what everybody else that does watch a lot of games Correct. is doing. Like, well, what is it? Right. They Because they were right, 100%. Like, in the regular, what they had seen all year watching football, yep. that would have been overturned. Yep. But I'm sitting there, there's no way in the Super Bowl they're going to overturn that. But I, how can you utilize rules and changes of rules that had not been enacted yet i mean that that i'd be mad if i was the patriots or patriots fans yeah i know but, but again i'm not feeling sorry yeah, who's feeling sorry it's like duke getting a a, blo- a charge, a charge should have been a, him, yeah, right. a yeah. blocking call which should have been a charge but um yeah but in the the earth i think what happened what helped with the earths thing though is when he rolled over he got grabbed the ball he brought again. it back that would have been interesting had he rolled over and like not been able to resecure the ball oh, they easily would have called that not a catch i don't think Pro, you know they might they might have done that then even though that to me was he caught the ball went into the end zone hit the ground right. and lost control that well, should have been a catch but now the rule the way it is when he lunged for the end zone or now that the rule has changed when he lunged and put the ball over the uh all the goal line that's it right the touchdown yeah and it, that's so, that's how it should be because yeah, that's who, how it is for like every other player you just yeah. have to like stretch the ball over there and uh and touch it but i guess too now in the future when a ball if the ball makes contact with the ground and comes loose, then instead of it being incomplete, it's going to be a fumble. Right, then yeah. I thought that too because, I mean, they, they say the ground can't cause a fumble, but that's only if you're, like, touched or, like, tapping yeah, into the ground. They can't if, if no if one's you, like, hit the, you. If you're, like, a ball carrier and you trip and hit the ground and then the ball comes out, that's a fumble yeah, because nobody no forced you down. down. Right, so, yeah, yeah now we're going to have that to worry about. I think the more important rule change that they've enacted here is the one that 
could lead to 15-yard penalties and ejection for players that lower their heads to initiate contact. Yeah, now that's going to be like the next controversial rule. It is. Because that is going to have like the the subjectivity there that that's going to be open of to. Of course, but these players have been, and I know that they're trying to change this in youth football and, and change the way that people tackle and stuff, but the players that are already in there, that's muscle memory. You know, that that's something that, that it's just a reaction. It's really hard to change that because that's what you've done your entire life. And when you're a, a, a ball carrier, and I think this will affect ball carriers probably more than tacklers, because they do that. They lower their head to, you know, initiate that contact, lower the boom, so to speak. Whereas, you know, you and you also have it with uh, receivers, you know, when they make catches and contact is coming, they lower their head to kind of just involuntarily do it to protect themselves. Yeah, I mean, it changes, it moves the target then. It like does. You, you've got them in one spot, you've already started your move to go and tackle, and then if they, yeah, they lower their head, then all of a sudden their head is where it wasn't before and you were targeting to hit them someplace else. Yeah, that's going to be one to pay attention to for sure because you're talking about players and them having to conscientiously you know, change their reactions. And that's something that, you know, happens like that. That's not something that, you know, you have a lot of time to make those decisions. So that's why it's almost just a, an involuntary reaction. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they actually call this and legislate it because you can have objections for it. I mean, ooh, that's I know. Be... Well, I mean, we've dealt with that in college football. With targeting, right. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, this rule didn't get passed, and thank God it didn't, and I'm going to lay into the team that suggested it and withdrew their proposal on it. They were talking about making the NFL's pass interference rule the same as the college's rule, where it's 15-yard penalty for whatever. That's so dumb, because then if somebody burns you, like for a team like the Falcons that has a burner and Julio Jones on the outside, if he burns the corner, they're just going to hook him every single time. Because of course you're going to take the 15-yard penalty over the possibility of a long touchdown. Yeah, but I, I do wish the NFL would change, but but leave leave it in where if it's an obvious blatant one like that, yeah. then it's a spot foul. But what but I think the NFL is too severe when you've got two guys downfield and their legs get tangled up, and it's a spot foul. Right. That should be 15 well, yards. Well, again, so. that's that's more legs tangling. That's not an, an unintentional deal. So I get that. Right. that but like, that's the thing. When you're asking refs to make subjective calls, you're, you're putting a lot on them. And I just think that the, the uh, possibility of those big plays being negated and you just easily hooking someone, I think that should outweigh the uh, the possibility of maybe like those entanglements because those don't happen as much. No, well, that, I think those should be spot fouls. But well, that I mean, will clearly are... start happening if you make it a 15 yard penalty. Like if Julio well, yeah, Jones gets past you, you're going to get hooked yeah. because that's what you should do, and that's what they do in college. If anything, I think college needs to adapt more to the NFL's rule because if it's a clear, blatant hooking someone when they've beaten you, then that should be a spot foul. It shouldn't be just a 15 year no i agree but i mean that's if it's clear and blatant but otherwise i think the nfl is too severe with the spot foul every yeah. single well, time maybe now you're you're asking him to, to do subjective things again by the way the team that proposed that rule change the jets of course it was the jets because they can't throw the ball vertically down the field so that doesn't impact them and then they can just use their if their guys get beat they can hook them and pull them well, down when, so of course it was the jets that proposed Well, think this. about the afc championship game when the right at the end of the half you know the, the jaguars had dominated that game and Brady he threw one down the sideline and first of all it was a questionable call to begin with but he threw one up down the sideline and it was basically the Jags defender you know they just were they were both going for the ball mm -hmm. and it, they called pass interference on Jacksonville and you know, New England got the ball down there at the five yard line I mean that's too severe of a penalty that's first it was a bad call but even if it wasn't that should just be 15 yard penalty well, I get that there's no guarantee that they would have made the catch 
But uh, again, the the blatant ones though, you, you're just asking for it if you change the rule to always being a 15 yard penalty. You're just asking to have defensive players just hook guys when they yeah, know they're which beating. is why they should change it to if it, there is a blatant just you're tackling a guy in the open field when you're clearly beaten, yeah. then that's going to be a spot foul. But all the other ones should be 15 yards. I've always thought the NFL's pass interference is too severe. All right, Brian, that'll wrap things up for us. We'll come back next week. We're going to talk some Georgia baseball next week. We wanted to let that one rest because they have a big series this weekend, easily their toughest opponent in Texas A&M. So we wanted, because Georgia's looking really good right now, they're ranked in some of the polls, so we want to give them this opportunity to go out there and play against a very tough opponent before we start to make judgments. Uh, but right now, all's, all's well on the Georgia baseball front. Hey, they're so. tied for first in the SEC. That's right, with Vandy. So he's Chris Bram, I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another exciting episode of the crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.